In preparing for this morning, uh, I, re- I read a few sermons about the parable of the talents. This, this, our passage this week is the parable of the talents. So. Um, Carla will be familiar with one sermon that I read, because um, she loaned me the book. One uh, retold, was a retelling of the parable um, using stashes of organic heirloom vegetable seeds as a resource that, the, um, that a grandma Isley had entrusted to various families in her community while she went off on a long trip. Um, I thought this was kind of interesting given the growers in our community, but the family who was afraid, um, who thought Grandma Isley's standards were really high about those organic heirloom seeds, who didn't risk, um, were super concerned about something I didn't really feel like that got us anywhere. I didn't know how how to move. I thought it was interesting. Um, a really interesting sermon, but I didn't know how it was going to help us this morning. I read another um, sermon, and I remember a sermon on the parable of the talents when we were in the Mark series about the parable um, of the talents being subversive, that it might have described life as part of the Roman Empire with the servant who buried the treasure, buried the resources he was given, as an act of defiance, of refusing to participate in an oppressive system. I thought that was interesting to consider, but I didn't think it was too helpful for us. Because if we imagine ourselves to be that subversive servant, the reading seems to let us off the hook. Um, it's not, ours is not the Roman Empire, but a powerful American reality. And I'm not sure we can ever really distance ourselves from the American system, a system that has embedded within it a lot of pain, um, structures that oppress some and give advantage to others, uh, resisting, actively opposing policies and practices that scapegoat our immigrant neighbors, that perpetuate racism, that ignore sexual exploitation, that tolerate violence. Active opposition is necessary and right, um, and even with the active opposition to structures of oppression and sin, which we must do, I hear Josh's voice saying we're all complicit. Um, We're all guilty in some way because we live and breathe in this culture, and we need God in this. Um, So the sermon with the subversive resource-bearing servant as the hero It didn't turn out so well for him, and I I wasn't thinking it was super helpful for us this morning. Then I read this odd third sermon that a friend recommended to me, one by Frederick Buechner, some of you may be familiar with him, um, called Adolescence and the Stewardship of Pain, which I thought, which I think might have something for us, like the stewardship of pain. Um, We're going to hold that phrase a little bit, and then we're going to see if we actually get that far. Um, but before we go there, as I, was, um, as I was looking at the parable of the talents, I started hearing Nicole's sermon and her working with uh, the workers in the vineyard. And so I got curious, and because I work with students on story all the time, I, I tried to line up the story side by side to see if I noticed anything. Um, and so that's actually what we're going to do in small groups for a little bit of time. Um, I have handouts, so exciting. Um, you're going to need to break into groups of like uh, three or f- 
five, and you're gonna, if you have a pencil, it's even better, because you can take notes. Um, I'm always low tech because, yeah, I like paper. But we're using the, here, I might need a few, actually, I'm gonna, can I steal a couple more? No, there might not be one for everyone. Um, but we're sharing, that's, we're sharing and we're working together. So we'll see if this is, we need more, I think there's enough to go. So we have serious, you have serious work to do. You're gonna have about five, eight minutes. You can make plot notes down the middle if you want, but there are some questions on the back. Do we need any more? Particular attention, the plot is just so that you can get the plot, like what's going on. Pay particular attention to the relationships. You're supposed to read, you're supposed to look at the two passages. We read them this morning already. You can take notes down the middle, but there are questions in the back to focus you on questions about relationship. What relationships do you notice in the two parables?
Couple more minutes. together. Did you notice? Huh? Oh. What What did you notice about relationships in um, the two parables? We're going to start with the first one. I was surprised when I lined them up this way. I, I saw some things that were really surprising to me, and I could just be reading too much into the stories, but um, we'll see what you said. What did you guys think um, about how the workers related, or, or about the relationships in the first parable, the workers in the vineyard? Um, how do they relate to the owner of the vineyard? Anyone? Right. So they're agreeable at first, then they want to renegotiate. Anybody else? They seem to be independent workers that are inviting the work and agree to it. Mm -hmm. uh, in contrast, in the second one, they are servants delegated with tasks. Right. So there's not as much autonomy. Right. Good. In that first parable, um, how does the landowner relate to the workers? I, I didn't notice this until, um, until Nicole said it, and then in reading her sermon as well, I saw it. Um, what did you notice about the way the landowner related to the workers? They don't have a duty. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. Friend was the word in the, in the disagreement. Friend was the word used. That was surprising to me. I, I wouldn't have noticed that before. I didn't notice that before. Um, what does this like friendship or this openness uh, make possible between the workers and the, the vineyard owner? What happened between them? Generosity happened between them. What about the envious workers? What happened there? 
Communication, right? That, that's kind of surprising. They just, they said it. They said it to the vineyard owner and there was dialogue that happened as a result. I thought, um, I again, wouldn't have noticed that. Um, what else did you notice? Anything else about that first, first look at the vineyard workers? That's interesting. Go ahead, Chad, and, and then Mike. Mike, go ahead. Interesting. Okay. Along the same lines, I, I just noticed that it didn't seem like he, he, the last group that he hired, it doesn't seem like he really needed them to do anything. Mm -hmm. He just, what, why are you standing there? Because no one hired us. And then, so he just said, well, let's go work in my vineyard then. Speaks to the generosity that um, Nicole talked about. Chad? The phrase is not about a new phrase, and Jesus made them equal to us. Hmm. I mean, obviously it kind of was about the mm -hmm. phrase, but it was, and we put them on above. Mm -hmm. Everything got leveled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What about Matthew 25? What did you notice about? the two groups of servants, or the, the two servants, and then how did the servants relate to the landowner? Go ahead, Anthony. Mm -hmm. 
interesting. Okay. Jason? Anyone else? Well, yeah, so, I mean, so what's frustrating is, you know, it's not clear that they were given any instructions or whether it was ambivalent. Right. And it's, he owns them in this scenario. I mean, there's no, you know, we have no idea there's a sense of personal agency or mm -hmm. humanity or dignity mm -hmm. um, because they're just thieves. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's no translation. Right. So that's like right. the whole different scenario. Mm -hmm. um, Okay. As, you know, it's a more frustrating uh, it is. <laughs> landowner, for sure. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't argue back at all that he's harsh and unfair. You know, like he, mm -hmm. he concedes that he's harsh and unfair. Um, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. I just hear, yeah. Perhaps. Um, in the second one, who defines the relationship? Who names the relationship? In the first one, the landowner is the one who's bold and set, and friend, when there's a disagreement, names him as friend. Um, who, who names the, the kind of relationship in the second parable? Did anybody notice? Yeah, the servants do. Um, yeah, and they call them different things, depending on which one is, is talking. Um, yeah. And what is it, I'm just trying to think if, what kind of relationship does the landowner name for the first two servants? What's surprising? Go ahead. Right, that's sort of interesting. Like friend, partner, their, their status is changed by, um, by what they do. And, and there isn't an indication on the second one with the, the third servant who buries his, his resources. It's a different scenario. Okay, that was what I started to find really interesting in this, um, in this cluster of passages or these two, these two parables is like, um, is the nature of the relationships between um, the two landowners with their, the people who were working for them um, as Nicole pointed out a few weeks ago, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, the owner, or the landowner, calls the early workers friends when they're in a disagreement. When the workers were upset, they groused angrily. Their upset was addressed, was stated, and addressed to the landowner. Um, the situation, for whatever reason, was discussable. There was, a, there was some sort of rift, a relational rift, and the early workers and the landowner discussed, discussed it, which I don't think I would have noticed that before. Um, they'd been at it all day. They were angry because they were put on par with the people who had arrived late and hadn't worked nearly as long or maybe not much at all. Um, but the workers were able to say it. And then the landowner was able to clarify. I'm not hearing it as angry. I think because of um, the word friend that 
um, the way that Nicole talked about, about the parable. Um, but that fairness and generosity were, were two things, two different things, and the landowner had acted in both ways. Um, so I, I wondered if the workers went away soothed, if the angry workers went away soothed, if they felt heard, if they walked away with a new perspective on the situation, if um, on their relationship with the landowner. And I wondered whether it would work for him again. Um, in the second story, the servant who buried the talent defines the terms of the relationship with the landowner as fearful. Um, he, he describes the landowner as harsh or demanding, maybe even unfair. I saw the unfair theme in both, in both parables. But he related to the landowner based on his fear. Um, we don't have indications from the other servants regarding the character of the landowner. We only have what the landowner did when he got back, which was he, he praised them and he said, be my partners, you, d you did a great job, um, which seems sort of generous, naming his servants partners. But then we have this third servant, the landowner, and we have this third party in the relationship, fear, um, which is what was different. Um, with the vineyard workers, when they were angry, they'd still done their jobs. Um, then they groused to the right person when something seemed unfair. But the third servant actually didn't do his job. Um, and his relationship was with his own fear, which led him to bury what he'd been given, to try and hide it or keep it safe or protect it. Um, because he made assumptions, maybe right, we don't know, about the landowner. What's interesting here for me is that suddenly, <laughs> Fear became another character for me in that relationship, became another character in the story. Um, in the long absence of the landowner, the fear seemed was the conversation partner of the third servant. And he, and he listened to that as if it was real. Um, fear tells him to bury, to hide his resources, his tools, to keep him safe, and he does. Fear keeps him from doing the good work that the landowner had delegated to him, which has seemed really ambiguous and open-ended. Um, maybe freedom, maybe creativity was involved in that. We don't know. Um, fear keeps him from the real relationship of partnership. Because I can only assume from reading the passage that if he had behaved like the other two, uh, other set of servants, he would have received the same thing. He would have received the name of partner. Um, which seems generous, too. Um, blame plays a role here, too, because fear says it's the landowner's fault because he's harsh. Um, he's harsh, he's greedy, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to behave in a particular way because I'm going to try and protect myself from what I expect to have happen. And, I, and he expects harshness. Um, the story doesn't end well for him. Or maybe this or maybe living this way during the landowner's absence didn't really go well for him either. Um, so why am I making a big, big deal about this? It was so interesting. Because um, I think the relational rift, fear, blame, work that gets buried, that needs to get done, um, work that's dignifying, partnership, I, I think these things are important. Because um, we don't know the work that the 
the servant was given to do because he didn't do it. But he was supposed to do something with what he was given. Um, he, he buried his tool and blamed the landowner uh, for his fearful response. He was unwilling to use the currency that was given to create more, to foster abundance, to take risks with no guarantee of results, but to serve something greater than his own fear. I, I wondered what would he have been willing to risk if he'd understood himself as a friend or a partner to the landowner? If he'd understood the nature of their relationship as friendship and partnership, what would he have risked? Um, which brings me, oh, so late, to <laughs> the stewardship of pain. The stewardship of pain. Um, Brennan Manning, I'm going to do a couple more things while the kids come in. Brennan Manning suggests that it's not just our skills and our talents, our abilities, our experiences. It's not just those things that we are steward of, that we, but that we are steward of all of our lives, including the pain and the conflict and um, our past experiences, our joys. All of it is what we are stewards of. Um, or as he puts it from the Revised Standard Version, he, said, he thinks we need to trade, to trade with what we've been given. Um, to trade is to give of what it is we have in return for what we need. And what we have is essentially what we are. And what we need is essentially each other. The good and self, good and faithful servants were not life barriers. They were life traders. They did not close themselves off in fear but open themselves up to risk and in hope. It says that trading joy is easy. It comes spontaneous and naturally. But, but trading in pain is harder. But he also notes that we're never more alive. We're never more sensitive than when, than when we are experiencing hurts. Because we're aware of our powerlessness to say ourselves or at least of the possibility of a power beyond ourselves to save us and heal us if we can only be open to it. We're never more aware of our need for each other and never more in reach of each other if only we can be open to bring ourselves to reach out and let ourselves be reached. I'm suggesting that relational pain, relational rifts, conflicts, misconceptions, misconceptions like the one that the third servant harbored are some of the resources, talents, and currencies that we need to trade or go to work with. We need to be willing to risk, to test our perceptions, to see the ones who are actually in front of us. Fear does not need to be our conversation partner. It, doesn't serve, it didn't serve the third servant well. Um, the point is not to be cast into, cast out into despair or to shame when we get it wrong, but the point is that we can learn so that we can be reconciled and so that we can heal, um, so that we don't become lost to one another. I think we need to trade with each other with what we have to work with because our world needs people who can offer their pain, who can test perceptions, who can bear with having been blind, 
who can bear with having misunderstood and being misunderstood, who can ask forgiveness, and who can see one another. This is a commodity our world desperately needs. We need it with one another. We need it in our relationships. We need it with our neighbors. And like the prayer said this morning, we don't do this work alone. Where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, the Spirit of God is present and active, teaching us how to love one another, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to love God. So... The question, I had, the question I had for the third servant is, is the question I have for us is like, what would we be willing to risk if we understood ourselves as friend or partner or neighbor? What, what would we be willing to risk?